But generally when we start a year, you kind of get the spiels about uh, maybe vision, different things, different bits and pieces. And in, in praying about where to go tonight, I was just thinking about generally the start of every year for us. And, and every year when you kick off a year, there's always things in our spiritual lives that we want to improve on in the new year. And so, I mean, we kind of get to the start of a year after an old year or the last year and we think, man, this year, you know, I'd really like to improve and grow in the area of my prayer life. I want to pray more this year. Or it might be, I want to read my Bible more this year. I actually want to evangelize more this year. Tell people about Jesus. I want to make disciples this year. I want to do that. I want to be a part of that. I want to think about my giving this year and what it is I'm doing with my money. I want, I want these things to change. And uh, it, every year they have these things called New Year's resolutions. And a resolution is basically just a decree that I, I want to do this. But the thing is, if things are ever going to change in our, in our walk with God from last year to this year, there are definitely going to need to be more than just decrees of I want to do this or I want to do that. It's going to need to be disciplines put in place. And I'm going to title tonight's message, Disciplined for the Sake of the Gospel. Disciplined for the Sake of the Gospel. And I know a lot of people are anti-disciplines. For a lot of people, it's like, oh, disciplines. No, I don't want to put disciplines in place because then I'll become legalistic. And legalistic is a, a word that's used in the church for people that do things thinking that in doing these things, it will make them righteous. Like in other words, in doing these things, that that will mean that God will save them. And that's what legalism is. It's doing things with a mentality that if I do this, then God will save me. And uh, that is wrong. Legalism is wrong. Uh, it's not what we do that saves us. It's what Christ did on the cross. And by us putting our faith in Jesus, it's his righteousness that makes us whole and in right standing with God. And so people go, well, disciplines, if you do, if you do disciplines, then you're legalistic. So if you want to get up every morning at, say, 6 o'clock and pray for a half an hour and read your Bible, that's legalism. No, 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 that's disciplines. And the difference is, with legalism, you're doing it to be saved. With disciplines, they're things that are important to me, and I want to be faithful to doing them because I realize that my flesh wars against my spirit. That means there's a part of me, the old me, which wars against the new part of God in me. And because I know that war is going on constantly, if I don't put disciplines in place, then nothing will change. And so, friends, if we want to move forward in our spiritual walk in 2012, then we're definitely going to have to put disciplines in place in our life to see that that happens. And so this is what I want to do tonight. I'm going to do three things. First thing I want to do tonight is, is go to the Bible and uh, take a biblical overview of disciplines and that they are not only something which is important but they are necessary they must be and i want to convince us from truth tonight that disciplines are something that we must have in our lives secondly i want to i want to throw out five areas i could have picked 10 or 12 to be honest with you but i just want to pick out five areas which i believe are five disciplines that we all need to have active in our life in 2012 and then lastly tonight i want to look at some applications on how it is we can make these things disciplines and how it is we do make a discipline so that when it comes to these areas that I'm about to say, that we don't only know from Scripture that we should do it, but we put things in place to see that it happens. And so tonight, if you have a Bible, I'd like to open up to 1 Corinthians 
And that's where we're going to be getting our theology from tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is our, our text for the night. Just one text for the night we'll be going through. It's 1 Corinthians 9, and we're reading from 24 through 27. This will be our text for the night. If you haven't got a Bible, we do have Bibles on the table. Feel free to use them. That's why they're there. So if you haven't got one with you tonight, just grab it off the table. If you're not sure where 1 Corinthians is, just look in the the start at the index and it will tell you where it is. It's towards the end. And it's after the Gospels. And just after Acts and Romans. And we're reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse... 24 through 27. And it's Paul speaking and he says, Do you not know that those who run, run in a race and all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Temperate just means they're controlled or disciplined in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus not with uncertainty. Thus, I fight not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now, the issue of this passage where it comes out of, like, this is all based around the last passage of Scripture. That's where it's coming from. And the last passage, Paul's talking about becoming all things to all men that he might save some. So he says, comes out of, look, basically the sake of the gospel, and I am transforming for the sake of the gospel that I might reach people for Christ. And then he comes out of that into this. And he begins by saying that he, he uses an analogy. He says, you know, when it comes to racing, you know, everyone runs in a race, but only one person in the race receives the prize. And his point of saying that is not that everyone's running in Christianity, but only one person's going to get there. Okay? That's not the point of it. Okay? It's not that everyone's running, but only one of you will be saved. I know some religions think only 144,000 will be saved. That is not ours. Okay? That's not our team. We believe that God will save people. How many? He doesn't say. But he says he came to save and he will save people. And so it starts by saying heaps of people run in a race, but not everyone gets the prize in the race. And then the point of it, he says, is run in such a way that you may obtain the prize. What is the prize? The prize is the last passage, that people would be saved. So the prize of running in this race is eternity for us and for others. That's the prize he's talking about. The point is running in a way that you might obtain it. And that's interesting to me because I think, you know, if we were to all stand at the beginning of a a race, at a start line, and there was a person there that just jumped up to every single one of us tonight and he said, okay guys, I just want to let you know tonight that you're about to start off in a race. And when you start in this race, I want you all to run this race like you really want to win it. Now, if that happened, there would be some questions that would be running through my mind. I don't know if they'd be running through yours, but there'd be questions running through mine. Like, firstly, how long is this race? <laughs> okay, if we're going to run to win, then how, how long's this race going to be? And I think if we asked that question, they'd be, well, it's, it's going to be as long as you live. And so maybe for us tonight, that's another 40 years. Maybe it's another 60 years. Maybe it's another 10 years. Maybe it's another two months. 
But this race that we are running in for Jesus Christ is a race we run all of our life. It's not one that we run for a little bit and then we stop. Christianity is a life that we live every single day we're here. (laughs) So I'd be thinking that first. I'd be going, okay, if I've got to set off on a race, firstly, how long is it? The second thing I'd be thinking is like, okay, well, if I'm running, then what's the prize, okay? If, if we are running and you want us to run this race to win, then, then what's the prize? And, and how is it we should go about it? And so the best thing about this passage is Paul says, firstly, you need to know that when we run this race, we're all meant to be running in such a way that God is glorified through people getting saved. We actually have to run in such a way where we are lifting up God's name so people might come to Jesus. And then the next three verses are beautiful because what he does is now he tells you what you need to know about running this race. So he tells us now the things that we need to know if we're going to run this race. So next verse, verse 25. He says, And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. They're controlled in all things. They're disciplined in all things. But this is the catch. He says, Now they do it for a temporal prize. We're running for an eternal prize. You know, when it comes to the Olympics and it comes to like sports and people train for these sports, I don't know if you, in high school, you had people that were in your school that were swimmers and they get up at like five o'clock every morning and they go to the pool and they swim for two hours, then they eat their food, come to school, finish school, go back to the pool, swim for another two hours, go home, make sure they get their nap time and then they get up again the next day at five o'clock in the morning and they go to the pool and you're thinking, why the heck do they want to do it? Why do you get up that early to swim and go to school and swim? And maybe, I don't know, maybe it's track. It's the same principle though. People that are training for athletics, they, they put so many disciplines in their life. I mean, they have disciplines about when they train, what they eat, when they sleep. And, and you look at it and just go, that's ludicrous. But for them, it's not. And the reason it's not is because they have a cause, have a purpose that they're doing it. People that do it, do it for different reasons. Some of them, they might be like, because I want to go to the Olympics. And the incredible thing this verse brings out, firstly, is that, you know, when it comes to just temporal, worldly things, people put themselves through the most hardcore disciplines ever. And, and that's worldly, temporal things, friends. We're running for spiritual things. I mean, we're not just competing and walking out life for things that are going to be just in this world. We're living out life for things that will uh, like continue forever. People's eternal happiness. Or eternal destruction. And Paul says there are people that for temporal things, they discipline themselves. And then what he does is he says, why? He says they do it for a perishable crown. And he gives us the why. The why we are running this race. And why it is we are meant to be controlled or disciplined in all areas of life. You know, when it comes to Christianity, there is always a lot said about how we need to run. But there is often very little said about why we need to run. And friends, why is so important? Do you guys remember in the story of David and Goliath? It's kind of like David comes down, his dad sends him down to the battle, gives him all the cheese and the little bits and pieces for his brothers. He goes down to this battle, arrives there, and there's this commotion going on about this giant called Goliath. And everybody doesn't want to fight him. Everyone's like, that guy's really big. And David starts hearing stuff and he gets in and he's like, man, what are you guys talking about? Who is this guy that he should defy the armies of God? Cause. 
Two verses down, 1729, that's what David says. Everyone's like, you're stupid, you're silly, you're just trying to look like you're really good, but you're really proud. And David says, are you kidding me? Is there not a cause? You know, it's because of a cause David actually, who's not a warrior, goes into battle against a giant. You know, it's our cause, our why, Jesus Christ and spending eternity with him forever, and not just for us, but for everyone, I mean, the people that live down your street, the people that are in your university class and that you work with, friends, eternity. That's what this race is about. This race isn't about just like, oh, I'm going to be happy in this life. As much as sometimes people make it out like that, it's not. It's about Christless eternity or Christ-filled eternity. And the amazing thing is for temporary things, I mean, I'll give you an example. It's, it's 2012. And I can guarantee you tonight, if we went through just this room alone, just this room alone, and we said, what are some New Year's resolutions that, that people have made? We'd get a heap of resolutions that people have made which have to do with temporary, meaningless junk. I want to look better this year. I'm going to work out five days. I'm getting muscles this year. And we'd go through all these resolutions. And I can guarantee, just in our room, not even out in the world, in the church, you know, it's incredible. Usually the first resolutions people make are things to do with temporal, meaningless junk. Friends, there are spiritual resolutions that we need to put in place before we even look at temporary resolutions. It really is. I mean, great, get in shape. The Bible says bodily exercise profits little, but it says godliness is great gain. So put godliness in place. Yeah, you want to do exercise, do it. But I think as Christians, there are spiritual principles and resolves or resolutions or disciplines which need to be looked at first. Why? Because of Jesus Christ and the gospel's sake. And if we don't get the why, if we don't understand the eternal things that are going on here, then it's going to be really hard for us to put disciplines in place and stick to them. I mean, I've always wondered what athletes think when they're getting up to go to the pool in the morning. Because I, I don't know about you, if you've had to ever get up early in the morning, you try and get up at five o'clock every single morning, especially when sometimes at nighttime you can't get to bed till late because you either had study for uni or you had a family get together or you're out for dinner or you're playing another sport. How is it that you get up at five o'clock every morning to go swim? Why? The why? How is it that you, if you make a discipline this year that I want to pray and I want to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning, just an example, if you were saying, I'm going to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning because I start work at 8 and spend a good hour with God, how is it that we discipline ourselves to do that every day when we wake up and the alarm goes off and our flesh just says, would you go back to bed? Why? I'm getting up because I believe in getting up and praying and spending time with God that things will change because I know that it's not me that changes things, it's God that changes things. And if I'm not talking to him, what I'm saying is I think I can change it all myself. God, help me to get up this morning and realize that I am praying and spending time with you for people's eternities. And I'll be praying this morning for people that do not know Jesus Christ and lifting them up to you. Friends, the why is so important. 
And so Paul starts and he says, women to be running a race in such a way that we can obtain the prize, obtain glory to God through people's salvation. The next thing he gives is the why. This is why. An eternal crown. Eternity with Christ or eternity without Christ. And this is what he leads into in the next verse. After he says that, he goes down verse 26 and he says, Therefore, so after saying this is what we're running for, he says, Therefore, I run thus not. Not with uncertainty. It's not like I'm unsure about why it is I'm living out my Christianity. I know. I know it's got to do with God's name being lifted up so people will be eternally happy forever. I know that. So I'm not uncertain about running this race. I'm not uncertain about my Christianity. He says, I'm not just beating at the air. You know, often with Christianity, it's very que-sera-sera, whatever will be, will be. We start the new year and go, you know, I want to pray more. I want to read my Bible more. And look, I'll just... Hopefully it happens. Just whatever will be, will be. We don't put disciplines in place. We just say, I want this, but hey. Paul says, no, now that I know why I'm doing this, it's not like that. I'm not just like, oh, whatever, kind of, you know, maybe do this, maybe do that. He says, no. You know, when, when we actually get a grasp of eternal things, I can promise you disciplines change. When I was, when I was away on our, our holiday time, we were staying at a, at a place down in New South Wales and I took a book with me that was about a guy from the 1600s. His name's Richard Baxter. He's one of the Puritan pastors. And, and the, the book is all about pastoring and shepherding people. And you know, through every page I'm reading through, do you know what's on every page? This guy's talking about people's eternities. He says he looks at families in his community and he knows that one day they'll be with Jesus forever or one day they'll perish eternally. Raps about the, the time that he labors because of that, the effort that he puts in because of that, the tears that he sheds because of that. And I was looking at my life and I'm thinking, you know, I think I know why the disciplines in my life are so laxed. Maybe like why I'm so passive and there's such lethargy in my life towards my Christian walk. Because I don't yet think I have a proper grasp that when people finish this life, they will either be in heaven forever or in hell forever. I just don't think I get that. When Paul comes out and he says, I get it. I get it. I get it that my life matters. And that when we're here in this world, we are fighting for eternities. He says, I get it. And so I, I discipline myself. The next verse he goes into, he says, So I discipline my body. I bring it into subjection. You know that means? I discipline my body. I make it subject to me. Have you ever noticed that when it comes to putting godly disciplines in our life, that it's not easy? <laughs> it is hard work. I mean, you get up and say, That's it, I'm going to read the Bible every single day. Three days into it, you've missed a day. I'll catch up tomorrow. It was a big day. You know, you make a, a, a resolve, a discipline that I'm going to get up and I am going to pray every morning. I'm going to get up or before I go to sleep at night. That's a better one. Before I go every night, I am going to pray. Comes the end of the day, go through, hang out with your friends, get home, get to night time. You are so tired and you've got to be up tomorrow at seven because you've got to go to work. And it's like, man, I've got to pray, but... Oh God, I'll just pray. I'm going to lie my head down on this pillow now and then I'm going to pray and then... hard to make spiritual disciplines it really is and the bible never said making spiritual disciplines would be easy 
Paul says, okay, this is the helpful thing to know. Firstly, how we run is really important because we're running for people's eternities. Gives us the why. He says, because of that why, that should be enough to bring our bodies into discipline and subjection, to make them subject to us. But this is the deal. The Bible says that's not easy. It says it's not easy. In Galatians 5, about 17, I think it is, says that we have this flesh, this old nature, this sin nature, and now that we're, we're saved and God saved us, we have this new heart which desires God. We have this spirit of God inside of us. And it says that the whole time we live in this world, they will constantly be at war with each other. Flesh lusts against the spirit. Spirit lusts against the flesh. There's this war going on between the two. What does that mean? It means that when you want to do something for God, there's a whole part of you which doesn't want to. It doesn't want to. And Paul says it in Romans 7, verse 21. He says, you know, evil is always present with me. The one who wills to do good, now Christ has come. But evil's always there. It never goes. In Genesis 4, 7, the story of Cain and Abel, God says to Cain, it says, sin's desire is for you, but you should rule over it. There's always going to be a flesh that does not want us to, to forge ahead in spiritual things. And I'll, I'll make this, I'll paint even a better picture about this. You know, when it comes to my, my own personal walk with God and my own daily devotion, you know, I can't think of many days where I've got up in the morning to take my prayer time where I haven't wanted to sleep in. can't think of many times where I'm just like, I am so pumped to get up today. Now, there's been a few, but generally there's this part of me which doesn't want to do it. Do you know when I read my Bible, I get time to read my Bible, I'm about to open it up, there is a million other things running through my mind telling me that, well, okay, you should do this though, you should do that, and you should do that. There are a million things trying to distract me from reading my Bible. And I mean like all the time, all the time. You know when I make resolves to go, that's it, I want to take some time to, to evangelize to certain people, there are always things that come up. There's always an opportunity. Hey, we're doing this today. Will, you should come. And it's always stuff that I want to do, like go shark fishing. And it's like, oh, there's this war and it never ends. You know, I've sat down with so many Christians over the year and they're like, oh, you know, but I'm just not like you. I just, I can never do it. There's just parts of me which doesn't want to do it. And I'm like, hello, welcome. There's a part of me which doesn't want to do any of the stuff that I do either. But my Bible says that I should rule over it, that I should make it subject to me. Helpful verse, 1 John 5, 4, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. That's a good promise to hold on to in the morning when you don't want to get up to pray to go, you know what, but God says that I am bigger. He that lives in me is greater. The desire for God is greater than this desire for sleep. Father, would you bring me out of bed this morning? Would you remind me this morning that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, and that I need to pray for you to send out laborers into the harvest? Would you remind me this day that it's by the Spirit I put to death the deeds of the flesh, and that your word is Spirit? And so if I don't read my Bible today, in this battle between flesh and Spirit, I'm probably going to lose, and the flesh is going to get the upper hand, because I didn't help equip myself today. Could you remind me today how much I need to do this and that not only I need to do it, but I should be ruling over sin. 
Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Sin's desire is for me, but I should rule over it. Friends, that is why we put disciplines in place. Paul says, I discipline myself. Why do we put disciplines in place? Because if we didn't, we'd never do it. Why? Because of the flesh. We don't put a discipline in place. The flesh wins every time. I mean, if I don't put down a plan and go, that's it, I am going to do this, then in the morning the flesh is just too loud. You don't really need to do it, Will. You can do it tomorrow. I know the Bible says make disciples, but you know, you'll start on that later in the year. <laughs> you don't need to start that now. You'll do it later. And I don't know if I've alluded to this tonight, but I probably need to since I've been saying that we're meant to run in a way that we want to obtain the prize and that we're meant to be putting disciplines in place in our life and bringing our flesh into subject. Now, when it comes to running the race for Jesus Christ, the only reason we're able to do this is because of Christ and grace. Now, there's this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. And Paul says, you know, I am what I am by the grace of God. And his grace towards me was not in vain. For I labor more abundantly than all the other apostles. Yet not I, but the grace of God who works mightily in me. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says it like this. Paul says, you know, We are to work out our salvation. I mean, what the Bible says we're meant to live, we are meant to work that out and live that, but know that it is God that works in us both to will and to do. So what that means is there are two workings. Because God has created a will and a want inside of us, we can now actually do the things he's asking us to do. Paul says, you know, when grace came to Simon and saved Simon, that grace is enough to create desires in Simon's heart to get out of his bed and pray to read his word in the day, to meditate on the word, to make disciples, to evangelize the world, to lay up his earthly riches in heaven. That grace is enough. And then you know what it says? Paul says, and so I labor more abundantly than they all. Now, lots of people just think the grace message means that there's no labor. But friends, sometimes I I think about that song Jack Johnson sings, where did all the good people go? And what runs through my mind is where did all the laborers for Christ go? Because I hear a whole lot of people talking about grace that are doing nothing. But yet the grace message was intended to power and empower us that we might be able to labor more abundantly than anyone else because we have a why and we know that it's God that's going to work in us and create the desires to do things and that's why we pray every day that he helps us do it because we know there's this flesh and there's this spirit and they are at war. Disciplines are biblical. They're necessary. And they're necessary if we want to see people's eternities change. But this is the awesome thing. We have the most amazing why. If someone comes to me and says, Will, why the heck do you do that? I'll tell you why. Because I believe this life is short and it will end. And when it does, you'll either be with Christ or you'll be without Him. And as many people that I can get to to bring that good news, I need to get to. As many people that I can pray for, I need to pray for. People often say, why do you read the word? How does that help other people? Romans 1.17, Paul says, I am ready to preach the gospel according to as much as is in me. 
You know why we are so crippled in our evangelism? Because there's no gospel in us. We don't have enough Bible in us, and so we're not ready because there's nothing in us. So we get an opportunity to talk to Jesus and, about Jesus to our friend, and we freeze. Because as much as is in us, we're ready to preach the gospel. And we have nothing in us. We're like, stammer, stop. We don't say anything. That's why we need to read the gospel. That's why we need to read the Bible, because it equips us to evangelize. It equips us in how to live righteously. And Psalm 23, 3 says... You lead me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. When we live righteously, God is glorified. People come to Jesus. So we have an amazing why. Now I just want to put out after this five things this year, I believe, five things that I believe we should have as disciplines in every single one of our lives. And then after we say, we'll put in some applications on how it is we can make these things disciplines. The first one, I believe needs to be a discipline in our life for 2012, is prayer prayer. In Matthew 5, Jesus teaches about prayer. And in verses 5, 6, and 7, he says, now when you pray, when you pray, when you pray. Friends, we cannot afford not to pray. Prayer is a daily thing. It is the lifeblood of our relationship with God. It declares that we are dependent solely on God. Every time we pray, it says, I can't do it, you can. It has everything to do with your joy. Because God says, when you ask things in my name, I will come and move in and on behalf of you. When you ask them according to my word, in the time appropriate, and joy will come to you. Because I will act on your behalf. And so that's a good thing. And not only that, but every single time we pray, God's glorified. Why? Why is God glorified by us praying? Because it says we believe that he is the only one who can change anything. He's the only one. Remember a while ago, I was reading through my Bible, Philippians 4, 6, and it says, if you don't want to be anxious about anything, then pray about everything. You know, worry is a big problem in our society and in our age demographic. That's why we pray. <laughs> be anxious for nothing, but in everything through thanksgiving, prayer, supplication. Let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God will guard your hearts. Prayer, first thing. Next thing I think is a non-negotiable is reading the word. Non-negotiable. When Jesus is taken into the wilderness and he's tempted by the devil, in Matthew 4 verse 4, the devil comes and tempts Jesus and Jesus' first response is, a quote out of Deuteronomy 8.3, he says, you know, when it comes to living life on this world, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every single word that comes from God. That's the only text I need to use. Now, I could probably give you 50 or 60 texts on why we need to read our Bible, but it's just plain and simply, we don't live by bread alone. We don't live by temporal things. We live in this world by every word that comes from God. Friends, we can't afford not to read our Bibles. Next thing, discipling people. Making disciples of people. It's the third thing I think is a non-negotiable. 2012, we all need to do. Why? Because before Jesus left and departs, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, before he leaves and goes, he comes and the last thing he says is make disciples. Teach them to observe everything I've taught you so that they may remain. For he who endures to the end will be saved. Discipleship was the last thing we were told. Last thing we were told to do. It's important can't not do it. 
I'm going to get to applications on how we do this in a moment. Just two more. Fourth thing I think is a non-negotiable we need to do is evangelize. We need to tell people about Jesus. Must be a part of our life in 2012. Discipline for the sake of the gospel. Matthew 9, 37, 38, Jesus says, The field is white for harvest. Laborers are few. Not many people actually want to go out and tell people about Jesus. But there's a whole lot of people that are ready to hear. Evangelism. And the last thing, last thing that I think is a non-negotiable for 2012 that must be a part of our Christianity and our walk with God is giving. Giving. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21, Jesus says, Do not lay up treasure in this world. Lay up treasure in heaven. For where your treasure is, where your heart is, rather, your treasure will be also. Five things. Prayer. Reading our Bible. Making disciples. Evangelizing. And giving. Some of you are getting boggled already. Like, I'm never going to remember to do all that. How in the world am I going to do all that? Well, we'll never remember to do it all if we don't make disciplines. And so, how would we make a discipline of praying? I'll give you an example. So this is how we, I make a discipline of praying. Lee and I make a discipline of praying. We say, okay, before we start, every single day we get up and we pray. First thing we do, we pray. So we wake up in the morning. Now, whatever time you choose to do that, and I'm going to encourage you to get up earlier rather than later, because the later you get up, the more chances there are there's not time for it. So, I mean, you might want to set a window. If you have to be up at 7 o'clock for work, you might want to set a window to get up at 6 o'clock. And say, okay, 6 o'clock, I'm setting my alarm. 6 o'clock every single day, that's my time where I'm going to get up and I am going to pray every single day. No weekends on prayer, people. (laughs) Trust me, you cannot afford to have a day where you don't talk to God. The scary thing is most of us have plenty of days we don't talk to God. We can't afford to not have days we don't talk with God. And you might go, well, okay, I get up to pray, but I get tired and now I fall asleep. Okay, well, how about this? We set a time, so we get up at 6 o'clock, that's your prayer time or whatever. You've got to be up at eight, 7 o'clock and you write a daily prayer. You write a daily directive. So, I mean, we think about what are things that you know you must pray every single day. And I can tell you a few. Jesus lays out a whole line of things that are important in Matthew 6, rather Matthew 5, 6. He lays out and says, okay, there's things that are important that we need to pray about. Firstly, that God would be made much of, that he'd be hallowed in this world. Secondly, we'd be led by the Spirit, not by the flesh, that his will would be done. God, help me be led by your Spirit today. Thirdly, that we'd actually long for that prize of seeing the kingdom come. Fourthly, that he would take care of our needs. Fifthly, that he would forgive our sins, which are many, and help us by looking at the forgiveness we've undeservedly received to forgive others. And sixthly, help me, Jermaine, I'm stuck. Six, lead us not to temptation, deliver us from evil, give us our day's daily bread, and forgive us our sins. Ah, forgive us our sins. Got it. So that's like a directive of three things that you might want to pray every single day, however you want to pray that. You might have family members that are unsaved you need to pray for. Put them in the directive. Put down this, these people I need to pray for. Every single day, pray for their salvation, that God comes and changes their heart, opens their heart to the gospel. It might be family, anything. Write a list. If you don't know what to pray, write a list so when you get up, you've got something. And then as you're praying, I'm sure things will come to mind to pray for. So that's prayer. That's how we do it. How do we do the Word of God? Once again, set a time. So Lee and I start the day with prayer and reading the Bible. Well, I don't know what to read. We'll just do daily reading. You know, if you have 
the Ultra Slim, at the back of the Ultra Slim, there is, I know, here's a plug for the Ultra Slim. New King James, not ESV. If you have a New King James Bible, Ultra Slim, at the back of it is a reading program on how to read your Bible through in a year. And so every morning you get up, you turn and go, okay, this is what I have to read today. Right then and there, that makes reading really simple. And if you want to read something else, go for it. I think the Gospels are great to, to read. I think Psalms, Proverbs, everything's good to read. But you pick out what you like. And you do daily reading. And then after daily reading, just have like five minutes or whatever. You just want to read whatever you want to read. Maybe you want to reread some verses that we've talked about at Amped. And that's how you make a discipline of prayer. That's how you make a discipline of reading the Word. It's there every day. It happens. It happens. I need it every day. I can't afford to not have it. Discipleship. Well, how the heck do I make a practice of making disciples? It's not hard. You go, you know what? Well, once a week or once every fortnight, I'm going to meet up with other Christians at a set time, at a set place, at the same, same day of the week, every single time we're going to meet. So Thursday afternoon, every two weeks, we're meeting down here. I don't know, Starbucks at Broadbeach, maybe at someone's house. And we are going to talk about the things of God. We're going to talk about what we do understand. We're going to talk about what we don't understand. We're going to pray with each other. And we are going to teach people in the ways of God. And so I'd encourage you just to get started with meeting people that are in Amped. Fortnightly, catching up, getting discipled in the things of God. And maybe beyond that, maybe you have some friends that have just become Christians or that are new. Catch up with them once every two weeks and teach them the Bible. Get them to ask you questions. You're like, well, I don't know the answers. Well, great. It'll expand you. (laughs) You'll need to read more. You'll need to ask more questions. Discipleship's not an option. Not an option. So for Lee and I, that's fortnightly. Every two weeks, Lee and I have a set allocated time where we go out and we spend time teaching people the ways of God. Every single two weeks. It's locked in. Evangelism. How do you make a practice of that? Once again, think about who are people in your world that don't know Jesus. Maybe it's somebody that you work with. Maybe it's someone that you study with. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's the guy that makes your coffee. Organize to catch up with him once a week. Or once a fortnight, say, hey man, do you want to catch up for coffee? Find people in your world that don't know Jesus and spend time with them. And when you do, every single time before you go, pray that God opens their heart to the gospel. Love them. Listen to them. And pray God gives you opportunity to share the gospel. And give you an example of how that looks. I've got a couple of people that I do that with in my world. I have a little granny I've told you all about, 86 years old, Doreen. I meet up with her fortnightly. I have a coffee with her and I talk with her, speak with her. I hear about all her life and I pray every single time God opens her heart to hear the gospel that she would be saved. And however long her life's left, that she would come to Christ before she finishes her life in this world. I have another little friend of mine, Love G, little Indian guy. I catch up with him as well. Fortnightly, one between the two. And I organize to meet with him, spend time with him, and pray every time that God will open his heart to the gospel. And when he does, I'm believing God will help me to bring him in here, and then I can disciple him. Evangelism is not an option, people. If people don't hear the good news, people perish. You think think it's something we can afford to just go, oh, no, that's not important. It is so important. So important. And that's how you'd make a practice of it. You just go, okay, this person. You don't need to meet with everyone or just go, I'll just evangelize whenever I'm out. You won't. Make a discipline. This time, this place, I'm going. I'm doing it. And then the last thing is giving. 
I could have added in a heap of things here, but I just did five. There are plenty of other things. We're a wealthy society. The Bible says it's hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven because we look to money to be our God and we don't look to God. We look to money to provide for us and we don't look to God. We don't pray to God for things because we have money and we don't need to pray. We have so much opportunity to expand the gospel to other people through our wealth and we can't afford not to do it. We have our own personal ministry here that functions because we give. It functions because we give. I mean, I'm only on staff here because you guys give. And out of your giving, that we're able to provide this through giving. Maybe a way to, to, to tailor your giving is to go, you know what, this year I earn, say you earn, I don't know, $40,000 a year. Cap your expenses. Go, you know what, this year I earn $40,000, but I'm going to live off thirty, and the other ten is gone. It's going to missions. Put a cap. Lee and I put a cap on our living where we say, you know what, this is how much we need to survive and everything else we get that comes in is gone. Gospel. Sponsor a missionary this year for a year. Sponsor a child in a Christian organization which feeds them and teaches them the gospel. Pray about one of your friends that's going on missions. Support them while they're away. Friends, we must use our money for the gospel. To whom much is given, much will be required. These are five things we, we can't afford not to do. And then here's the catch. There are going to be times, even though you make a discipline, you fail to do it still. There's times that I, I get so busy in the morning and I'm rushed because I slept in and I let my flesh win that my Bible time is deprived. There's sometimes my prayer life is deprived because of my laziness. And there are going to be times where your flesh will get the better of you. And every single time it does, don't just think, oh no, I've messed up. Tomorrow is a new day. The day's not even finished. Friends, when, when we miss it, we don't just go, I miss it, throw the towel in, it's all over. No, we start again and pray, God, I need your help. I need your help today. I didn't get up and help me and know that God is not condemning us. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Him who walk according to the Spirit. God, help me to be led by the Spirit. And when we miss it, get other people with you to encourage you, to pray for you. If you find that hard to get up, then ask someone, can you pray for me every morning when you get up so I get up? Can you pray that God prompts me and wakes me up and makes me wake up and won't let me fall back to sleep? Can you please help? Set two alarms. Do whatever you need to do. But if you do fail, don't throw the towel in. There's going to come times where we miss it. And we need to pick it up and keep going. You know, I find the more that I continue in these godly disciplines, the more joy I find in my walk with God. The more I actually enjoy my day when I start the day off praying and reading my Bible. And that doesn't mean hard things don't happen. They happen. It's just better days because I feel like I'm with God in this day and we're not so far apart. I feel like He actually is speaking to me because I, I have something for His Holy Spirit to remind me of. Discipline for the sake of the gospel. Five things I think we all need to put in place. I hope I've given enough applications on how we could go about doing that. And I'm believing this young adults ministry, we're believing... Lee and I, our team, that it's going to change this year. 
And through these disciplines we put in place, God is going to be so much more exalted in 2012. More people are going to come to the gospel. More people are going to hear about Jesus. We will all be making disciples. We will all be praying. We will all be giving. We will all be tipping our life out for the cause of the gospel. And we will all be at the end of this year like, what a great year. Man, that was a good year. And in a different place, feeling like we are in a different place with God than where we were at the start of the year. We bow our heads, close our eyes, we'll pray. Father, I thank you so much for each and every person that is a part of this young adults ministry. I thank you, Lord, as we look at your word tonight, that it pierces and penetrates our heart. Father, I thank you that we, we, we are aware and awakened to the fact that you are calling us to make disciplines and bring our body into subjection, make it subject to us for the sake of the gospel, for the name of Jesus and people's eternities. And Lord, you help us this year by your grace, by your strength, by you working in us both to will and to do, to be able to labor more abundantly than we ever have before for the cause of Christ. Father, I pray that you put people around other people to, to, to encourage them, to pray with them, to stand with them. And Lord, this would be the most fruitful year as we draw near to you. And we allow you to continue to transform us into the image of your Son. And Lord, I thank you for every person here, maybe people here that don't know Christ. That Father, somehow out of the words I've spoken tonight, you've awakened faith in their heart. And they realize that heaven and hell are very real and that they have a purpose that Jesus has upon their life. And it's a, a purpose which is entailing of so much joy and happiness. And Father, tonight you prompt them to speak with their friends, to ask them about Christianity, to ask them about their faith, and they're able to share with them and lead them to you. And I just bless you and thank you that the seed sown tonight falls on good ground, that people get understanding of everything we've looked at and that they bear fruit. And I thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.